My name is Krista and welcome back to Cheese and Crackers. This is our first episode and we're going to get to tell you a little bit more about us. I'm here with my daughter Bria. Yep, I'm Bria and like she said, this is officially our first ever podcast episode. So this is something we're excited to bring into the world. Before we get up to our current state and what's going on in our lives, I want to give you a little background information and tell you a little bit about myself. I am going through a divorce, as we talked about in the introduction, and I have two daughters. Bria here is my oldest, and then I have a younger daughter who really doesn't want to be part of the podcast at this time, which we're going to honor and is fine with, so I won't name her. I'll just call her my youngest daughter. And I have been, I was married 23 years. I grew up middle class and have been middle to upper class. After getting married and working, I am a school teacher. I teach third grade currently, and this is my 28th or 29th year of teaching. It all kind of runs together after a while. So I think people will be surprised when they hear my story in this podcast because I made a really conscious effort of going in and closing the door and leaving what was happening at home behind, which in some ways is good because it didn't affect my job or the kids because I had those connections. And if I didn't get love from home, I could at least get it from eight and nine-year-olds that and younger kids that would give you hugs all the time. However, it also, I think, made it a little bit harder dealing with our current situation because I know One day my principal said, you're handling it so well. And I can do that because I'm so good at hiding things and faking it that to me, what's going on in my life really wasn't anything different than what I'd been doing all along. And and school's kind of my safe place. I can go in, close the door, be me, be with the kids and focus on my job and not have to worry about everything else. So it's kind of my job, but it's probably a little bit my escape too, because I enjoy it. I've always enjoyed helping others, which is another reason we decided we wanted to do this podcast, because we wish that there would have been a place out there that we could have found out some of this information. And as we go through the different episodes, you'll see what we're talking about, because it hasn't been, it hasn't been easy. But, but it's made us stronger. It's definitely not been an easy journey. And I think you'll see it from my mom's perspective. And then you'll see it from my perspective as growing up in the household and the coping mechanisms and the things that I did to kind of hide myself and how I grew up and how I conditioned myself to my living situation, which I don't regret any of it. I'm really grateful for it actually looking back and reflecting now because now I know that there was a purpose of living through it all and it was actually to advocate and teach others and kind of guide them along their own journey and you know everything works out for a reason and everything happens for a reason and I'm a firm believer in that and if we were still in that situation we wouldn't be able to talk about it and truly change lives so grateful to be on this journey and still going through it and having this place to to share. And I think one of the things that's important is to try to maintain a positive outlook. I mean, Bree and I have always tried to find the good in things and take negative situations and make them a positive, which again is what we're doing with this one because 
it it's definitely a negative situation but now we're to the point where we've healed we can laugh we can talk about it i'm not saying that we're healed totally because i think we'll always have some trauma response and some post-traumatic stress disorder but we're a we're a lot better off than we were and neither one of us i can certainly say would ever want to go back and live that way again yeah i also think the reason that we haven't really put this out here before for all those wondering is because it going through something as traumatic as we did definitely it takes a toll on your mental health and it takes a toll on your well-being and you just it really took a long time for us to heal and feel comfortable with people knowing about our situation whether it was co-workers or family or friends or people in the town knowing and you know going out to the grocery store and saying oh i heard about your situation how are you doing for a long time that was something i hated but reflecting now i'm glad that people do care but also sometimes i think people are nosy but i mean if you're nosy and you're listening i guess you're gonna find out anyway but I just think that sometimes you really have to prepare yourself and you have to work on overcoming your fears and I think one of our biggest fears as a family was letting people finally understand what we went through after it was hidden and closed off for so many years was actually being very vulnerable. I think your sister summed it up really good too. One of the times that we were at therapy, we did go to therapy after everything too you know, we left and she said, I just, I don't understand why we're talking about it. I lived it. I'm done with it. And I don't want to talk about it again. And, you know, I tried to explain to her, it's because I don't want her to have some of the same issues that I had that I call daddy issues that we'll get into that going on. But in her mind, that's kind of where she was is she didn't want to talk about it because she'd lived it. She was done. It was over and she was ready to forget about it. However, The odd thing is about all of that is she's the one that's probably talked and shared the most Mm -hmm. definitely on social media than any of us. So I think think different people handle things in different ways, but I think anytime you're going through a major life change or a life crisis, you know, there's strategies and ways to help with that. And everybody's going to respond different. My method of healing was way different than my mom's, than my sister's. I mean... I think you really have to be in tune with yourself and I mean you're gonna ultimately find a way that makes life easier for you but it's just navigating and finding your way of coping and guiding and navigating through all the situations. I was an only child and I know some of you are thinking oh only child spoiled always wants her way yeah I've heard that all my life but I will say I was an only child and I was spoiled but I was taught to appreciate it. My dad was a military man. He served in the Air Force. And I can't say he was overbearing or controlling, but yet at the same time, it was definitely a household that he ran. He had the power and respect and commanded that. So a short version of the story is he passed away a week before my high school graduation with a massive heart attack. So I went from having somebody in my life who would challenge my thinking and who would guide me and kind of tell me the expectations and then expect me to do it. Having that person that I was always trying to please, whether it be straight A's or my job, whatnot, to having no one telling me what to do it was tough it was a whole shift and my mom who I love dearly who's still alive 
she was like, Krista, I'm not going to tell you what to do. I'm not going to tell you whether to go away to college. I'm not going to tell you to stay home, to be with me. I want you to live the life that you want to lead, which I love her to this day for that. But it was one of the hardest things that I went through. I floundered. You know, I went to therapy, different therapists. One I went to was a good friend of my dad. So if I said anything negative about my dad, he'd get upset. So we went to another therapist. He was the guy that everything was on a scale of one to 10. How did this make you feel? And to this day, I still can't stand scales. The end of the story though is my mom sat me down and I kind of went through a tough spell. But she said, ultimately, Krista, I can take you to all the therapy. I can pay for the best, whatever, but you're the one that has to decide what you want out of life. And, and nobody can help you but you. And I think that was a really good experience for me. And I think that's what's helped me going through everything I'm going through now is because I've learned that I'm the only one that can change things that I can count on that can advocate for myself. So, so anyway, back to my story. Sorry, that was a little sidebar trip. I went out with several different guys and they were all super nice, great guys, many of whom I'm friends with today think the world of but you know they'd they'd come and do things for me they'd get my car and go wash it if they'd pick me up from work they'd take me to dinner buy me flowers all of those kind of things and it was just too smothering if I said this guy looks green today they'd be like oh yeah it looks green and I just couldn't handle how they agreed with everything I think I missed some of that teenage fighting I can't really say fighting but that disagreeing with my dad and him being so set in his ways that it was like everything was just too nicey-nice. So so I went to a party, and it was at this party that I met my estranged husband. And he had just gone through an ordeal where his dad had passed away with a stroke. And, you know, there were many issues with that, dealing with the stepmom and so on and so forth and so anyway we started talking and he definitely was what I would say opinionated and then we started seeing each other and in reality looking back I didn't even realize it at the time but I ended up with someone who was more like my dad yep and I call that I had daddy issues and didn't even realize it at the time. I'd also say it's because it was so natural in your firsthand nature that that's also why it kind of influenced your decisions. You were already used to it, so mm -hmm. you were going to stay in that comfort zone. I would agree. I would agree. So anyway, we lived together for a while, moved out, started dating other people one summer, and then his mom passed away with cancer, and his mom was a wonderful person his family is i still talk to several of his family members you know i don't really think he ever dealt with his father's death or the death of his mom and he called me up after that and you know was like i'm really alone could we just meet and talk i don't have a mom i don't have a dad this is like the first time in my life i've realized i am really on my own and he told me he wanted to make some changes and i thought okay you know I can see this and and again I think in the back of my warped mind I thought I could change him and you know he'd made some progress so I thought yeah let's let's give it a shot and mm -hmm. so I did we ended up getting married in 
98, and that was about eight years after we started dating, and had Bria in 2000 and my other daughter in 2005. So I was married to him for 23 years before I filed divorce papers. Yeah, but leading up to the divorce, there were a lot of, I would say, unresolved traumas that he still never dealt with, which that'll be discussed in more depth, I should say. But I think that it ultimately kind of stems from your childhood. I think there's a lot of inner child and upbringing and generational trauma that needs to be healed. And until it's healed, old patterns are going to repeat themselves, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. One of the things that I probably noticed early on was the control. And and it wasn't that he told me what to do all the time. It was little controlling things like certain expectations that he'd have. Like if he'd work, he worked 12-hour shifts. So if he worked, he'd expect me to have like dinner ready or packed for him for the next day. He'd expect... Well, certain clothes to be washed. Yeah, it was just, it was little things. The house always had to be picked up. So it it seems like looking back, it was more about appearances and what it looked on the outside. He wanted everybody to think that he'd made it or we'd made it Mm -hmm. or whatever. I think, I think touching on that, uh, our family hid behind materialism big time. I think, you know, we had the nice new cars. We had the sports cars. We had the motorcycles. We had the night house. Fifth wheel. We have the house with the pool, with the fire pit, and, you know, we have the hangout place. It was all how it looked. It was truly appearance-based. It was the nice clothes. It was, seriously, everything was materialistic. And, yeah. And I felt like, too, like, if I went, and I can't say I don't like nice things, and I like to shop, and that's right. kind of one of my my red flags, or I have to keep myself in check. But one of the things that... I noticed is it seemed like after he'd get something, he was never happy with it or satisfied. It was always what's bigger, what's best, or what's next. And he was always comparing what we had to other people. Mm-hmm. Like he had a friend that had a business, and so he, he always talked about how he wanted his own business. So yeah. we ended up getting our own business, and that's for another episode. But there was a lot of comparing to the Joneses and not being happy with just what you have and feeling grateful and blessed. It was always the next big thing. Yep. It was, okay, well, we have this car. We're going to upgrade to the next level. We're going to get the premium package. It's It was the whole nine yards. And if, if he wasn't buying it, he was planning what he could buy mm-hmm. next, researching it for like months, so that way he'd get exactly what he wanted and the best and and it was almost to the point where it was like obsessive and we'd be like just pick one we don't care you know and and that would really bother him because it was like it was indecisiveness in a way yeah but yet he knew he was going to buy something and we'd say well get what you like because you're going to turn around and you're going to want to upgrade later Mm -hmm. and so we had that conversation many a times and and it still didn't it did, still didn't really seem to matter because mm-hmm. even when he got the best, it there was always enough. something better. It was never enough. Yeah. Another red flag I want to talk about, though, is control of money. Yes. Um, financial control. Financial control is, I think, huge. And and I'm just going to say this and take it for what it's worth, but you need to look at your own situation and how in your household 
money's divided or managed or managed exactly um it might be a case of you both pay the bills together it might be a case of one person pays the bills but the other person knows what's going on in my case he wanted the control it was very one-sided and and another another situation is like i have friends who if they have a purchase and it's over a certain amount they have to okay it with each other we didn't really have that unless it was me. Yeah. I had to okay it, but it was a little different if it was something that he wanted. And I'll give you an example, Bria. When you were little, and oh, you must have been maybe two, two or three, and Grandma and you and I had went shopping at the outlet mall. Our youngest wasn't even here yet, and I had a budget that your dad had given me that day, and I coun't go over it. And, and I understood that. I mean, I, I got it. But we went to The Gap, and they had their winter coats marked down. And you had almost outgrown yours, and it was getting tight. And I remember looking at it and my mom saying, well, why don't you just buy it? I said, because if I do, I'll be like $7 over my budget. And she's like, Krista, I'll give you the $7 for God's sakes. It's cute. You like it. She needs it. Get it. So anyway, we did. I got it, dropped her off, and went back home. And I came in the house, and he was on the floor. And back in those days, we had CDs. And and for those of you that are old like me, you'll remember that you could order CDs in the mail. And you could get like 12 for a penny if you bought this and bought two or whatever. And so anyway, that day, there was like 15 CDs that had come in the mail that he had purchased. And he was listening to him, and he's like, come in here and listen to this one. And, you know, we talked about turning it down because of your ears, because mm-hmm. he always liked it loud. And anyway, we got done, and I went out to the kitchen to fix something to drink. And he came out, and he wanted to know how much I spent. So I told him, and before I could even tell him that it was only $7 that I'd went over, he blew up he was like you can't you can't ever keep a budget and this is why you don't deserve to go and blah 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 and it was just it was one of those things that he didn't even realize the stupidity of it when he was sitting there with like 15 or 16 new cds but i'd spent seven dollars and i didn't even get the chance to tell him you know my mom said she'll give you ten dollars it's not like i'm gonna keep the money and at this time both of our checks were going in together so so the more controlling that it got, I'm going to tell on myself here, but the more controlling it got, the more I would say I was a little resentful. And not a little, a lot, because I'd been an only child and I was used to having nice things and getting what I want. And and I went from that to our checks were combined and he controlled the money. And so I remember at school there was a co-op and his big thing was, well, if they want you to do that stuff, the, then the school should provide it for you. Well, anybody that's ever taught or been around schools knows that it's not like a business where they bring in stuff and feed you luncheons cater and cater it. So everybody brings something like a potluck and that's what we do. And so I told him that we had one coming up and I needed money that next day. And he said, well, there isn't money for that. And so that's how it all started. And I took my credit card. I went to the store and bought what I wanted to for a co-op. 
and probably a little bit nicer <laughs> just because he said I couldn't. I'm going to be honest because I have that little tendency too. So, oh, you're going to tell me I can't buy anything? Well, I'll buy a fruit pizza and a, and a veggie tray just because, <laughs> you know. I could have bought a bag of chips, but now I'll show you. So, anyway, I had that going on. I was going back to school for my master's. We would you know, take out student loans and he'd have me take out the full amount so we could buy half a beef or half a hog or whatever. Whatever was convenient for him. What yeah, benefited yeah. him. But then it was my fault because I had student loans and they were so high or whatever. But back to the credit card story. So you can kind of see where this is going because if I wanted to go with the girls or I wanted to go out shopping or whatever, oh, I'll just use the credit card. Well, anybody who's ever been like in their 20s and had a credit card, knows that it's kind of easy to run it up a little bit more than what you think. So instead of paying the whole thing off, then you start making the minimum payment. And in the meantime, you're still using it. And then it gets to the point where, oh, I'll just get another credit card and transfer the balance for 0%. I can do that. And um, yeah, so next thing you know, uh, here I am sitting with a credit card that has a lot of money on it. We'll just say over 20000 <clears throat> and um And this is the point we're married. I've had my second child by then. We're in the house that we're currently at now. And, um, you know, he, he was upset. He ran a credit report for something that we were going to buy or refinance. I don't even remember what it was, but he found out about it. And, oh, it was bad. It was bad. There was a lot of screaming and yelling. And I apologized and came clean. And, um, you know, cut up all the credit cards in front of him. And I, I basically had a lot of verbal abuse on that one because I was stupid and couldn't manage money. And this Heard is why all. I didn't deserve a credit card and I didn't deserve any money. And so I asked him if he wanted a divorce and he said no. And we went to the bank and we did refinance our house and we refinanced it for a little bit more than what we'd planned on to pay off my credit cards. And, and it, nobody will know, but one of our good friends that we had hung out with was the banker that day. And we had to go in and I had to tell him that I ran up my credit cards and told him in no uncertain terms that it was, you know, all me and he didn't know anything about it. And I was so embarrassed but he never, I mean, even to this day when I see the guy, he's always nice to me and has never said anything. But I often wonder what he thought of that whole situation because it was just awkward. Well, that and even even after moving on from that situation, he would always bring it up. He would always throw it out there. He'd always he'd hold it as a grudge or use it in certain scenarios to really put you down and it really truly was a form of abuse verbal abuse emotional abuse and it was things that happened even like 10 15 years ago he'd still bring it up well and he still he still tried to control everything i mean even if i went to the store he'd be like where's the receipt how much did you spend that's too much and so i'd say well then you go to the store and you buy the stuff and he didn't want to do that or sometimes he'd go to the store and bought what he wanted but if like my sister or I wanted something, and we couldn't get it. But if it was something that he wanted, then he could get it. It was definitely what he wanted all the time. I could go to the store and spend $150, and he'd be mad. But if he'd go to the store, we'd end up with like a $300 cart, and then it was fine. Yeah. So, so I guess that's my point, too, is that it was like a different set of rules, mm -hmm. whether it was he wanted it or if it was just me getting it. 
And, and that's another thing that I think you need to look at in your own situation is how, how that communication is. Like, like Bria said, I was, I was put down and, and, you know, after a while you kind of get feeling that way, like you're not good enough. And, and then I remember I got to the point here a few years ago that I got resentful and a lot that's changed, but then, you know, you're going to get in trouble for it. So you're like, well, I'm going to throw in that extra bag of Oreos because I'm going to get in trouble anyway. Why not? Yeah, might as well. So, so then I just do those kind of things or, you know, cause it didn't, it didn't matter. And, and there were a lot of times that I did that, that I'm going to tell on myself, but if I'd go to the store, I'd um, do 10 over in cash and, and, you know, and hope to heck that he didn't look at the receipt. So that way I had some money to spend. And let's just reiterate this. We always had money and we always had money in our checking account and the joint bank account or whatever. But for the most part, my mom was the breadwinner of the family for a long time. She was making more than my dad. And that's the thing. It was her money. But at the end of the day, she couldn't spend it on what she wanted. My dad was controlling all the finances. She never really looked at the bank account. She'd ask and he'd be like, okay, yeah, you can look where there's this amount in there. But it was never, there was never really clarity on the whole financial situation because she wasn't allowed to. He denied access the other thing that I want to talk about, too, that he did with money is he held that as a reward. He did. So, like, if he would do something or I'd be upset about something or he'd know that he'd went a little too far, the answer was, well, let's go shopping. Yeah. And so he'd take us girls shopping, and we'd basically get whatever we wanted, and that would make things okay. That yeah. was that was his other way to silence us or his power. But we would never talk about what happened. It would always be, oh, let's go on a trip. Oh, let's buy this. Oh, like for example, one of the really big final purchases before the divorce was another swimming pool. We had a swimming pool growing up and then we live out in the country. So the ground shifted and the pool kind of collapsed when we put in a new liner. But because of how bad a situation was that happened in our household, his, his way of kind of fixing it and smoothing it over was to buy us another pool because he knew that we'd been wanting another pool and we wanted an in-ground pool or an above-ground pool and we were tired of going to the lake with kayaks. So he's like, okay, I'll spend this amount of money and we'll get you a pool. And, and then he expected us to drop everything and kind of, you know, just move on like we had in the past, whether it was clothes or technology, new laptops, new phones, new shoes. The, it was really his way of trying to smooth things over and control the situation and a solution which it really never was and i think along with that is that's part of that cycle Mm -hmm. that 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 might have worked for so for him when he was younger because i didn't find out until after we separated but it sounds like from his sister that there was some maybe abuse going on that he saw growing up and mm-hmm. and so I'm not justifying it by any means, but I think again, like Bria said, it's a generational thing, and you kind of are what you see. And so I think he'd know he went too far, and so his cycle would be, well, here's what I'm going to do to fix it. So I don't know because we've never really talked about it, but I'd almost guess that that's what happened in his world. Yeah, I would I would agree. And looking back at the patterns and hearing the stories that we now know, I would I would almost guarantee that too. There's probably definitely some winning over of others with purchases or bribery or whatever you want to call it. And in his defense, that worked for a lot of years. It did. I mean, we stayed together 23 years. So, 
Um, he did it, but obviously I continued to let it happen. And that, um, and after a while, it gets old because it, in our situation, it kept getting worse and worse each time something would happen. We'd have one blow up and we'd be fine. And then uh, leading up to the divorce, it was a blow up every week and then every day and things got unbearable. But I think that's because he changed. That is, which we'll, we'll get into that too. That, but. but yeah, it, it definitely, I mean, who knows? We might still be in that situation if it would have been like it was 10 years ago. Mm-hmm. Because we we could survive that. Yeah. It was just at the end that it wasn't it wasn't worth it. No, it really wasn't. So so anyway, look at money, look at control, look at communication, how it's managed, and and if you're out there, and I, it's not just females. This can happen to males too because we know there's female narcissists. But either way, if you don't know about your money and your finances, you need to take a little time and get to know them. Yeah. And if you're ever thinking about leaving, don't do that until you have a plan. And I will tell you, I spent two months on a plan and it wasn't even long enough. No. Not, I mean, I thought I had my basis covered and, and I didn't. Yeah. So, but I would say that if you are going to leave, what you need to do is start writing down accounts, what's in them, if you have any like 401k retirement accounts, anything like that. And just have a really solid understanding of your financial records. Yes, and you definitely want to know where your money's at, where it's being held, what banks you're with, like stuff that you genuinely insurance policies. Gen generally should know. You definitely want to know um, because as you go on in this journey, more than likely there will be some game playing with finances and some hidden information and accounts being moved left and right and you're really going to want to have the first solid record of where all your information is in the first place before you exit and that's not every divorce we're talking about if you're dealing with the narcissist right so that's the other part and the other thing that i think it's important to point out before we end on this first podcast is that narcissists they're first line of defense is to play the blame game they spin things around and make it so it's all you and victim mentality yep very much so and so i think that that's something we should get into in our next podcast but be ready because they will try to make you out the bad guy while they play the victim role so So. we're gonna wrap it up here and you learned about red flags and what you should look out for and you kind of got to know us a little bit better but as we continue you'll learn more along the way and really really get to look into our lives and everything that we've been through thanks for joining us and we hope you listen next week like and leave us a review if possible yep we'll be back on monday with a new episode and we look forward to the feedback